This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and these are my interviews with the director for the creator, Gareth Edwards cinematographers Greg Frazier and Oren Soffer, the visual effects supervisor Jay Cooper, and the on-set visual effects supervisor Andrew Roberts. What's heaven? It's a peaceful place in the sky. Are you going to heaven? No. Why not? You gotta be a good person to go to heaven. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Next Best Picture podcast, where I am being joined right now by the visual effects supervisor of ILM, Jay Cooper, and the onset visual effects supervisor at ILM, Andrew Roberts, both of whom worked on Gareth Edwards, the creator. Gentlemen, how are you today? Oh, good. Good. Thanks for asking. They're doing well, Matthew. Good to see you. Awesome. Good stuff. I'm really, really excited to dive into this with both of you because the stories I've heard about this, I think, are going to be passed down uh, in lore in the visual effects world as far as how you guys were able to accomplish so much with so little. Um, I've heard so many innovative techniques were utilized here in the shooting process, and there was so much involved on set, too, to just try and get the best visual experience one could get with the budget uh, that was at the disposal here. So let's break it down two different ways uh, because we have on set, like we said here for Andrew and we got Jay here uh, working obviously behind the scenes with all the talented people at ILM. I would like to know specifically though, for our listeners who may not be familiar, like, can you give me like a detailed description of how your roles are dissimilar from the other? Oh yeah. Andrew, why don't you start? Um, Sure. Yeah. Well, as on set visual effects supervisor, my role um, is, in support of Jay, uh, so Jay was our HOD, our head of department, and overall um, supervising uh, everything for the show. With me being on set, um, I initially worked with um, Gareth Edwards and and Jay and the team from pre-production. So we went through the script and looked at storyboards and then planned how we would execute um, each shot, each sequence for the film. And then being on location in Thailand um, and the other locations, it's a matter of going from location to location, um, being there as a, as a creative support for Gareth. So if questions come up about how to execute this, how will this need to be shot, um, answering any questions for him, and then also just being there to capture the information. So lighting information, um, high dynamic range imagery, um, photos that can be used to relight um, robots and the other characters and locations and vehicles. 
um, and other measurements and any other technical data that will then support um, Jay and the team as they as they execute the shot. So, so it sounds like there's like a hierarchy in terms of uh, checks and balances here to just get the most maximum efficiency possible. Yeah, that's right. I will I will say this that you know I got a big title card, but there are so there are tons of people at ILM and other companies that worked on this movie that all. It's a group effort. So at ILM, yeah. it's myself, it's Andrew, it's David Daly, it's Ian Comley, it's Charmaine Chan, it's uh, Trevor Hazel. Those are our our, our um, other VFX soups and associate VFX soups. And we're my role as a, as a whole is pretty much to keep an eye on everything and to sort of lead the creative charge and um, or you know steer, steer the boat in a certain direction and then present the work to Gareth and have constant conversations with him of what he's looking for in these in his visual effects work, as well as working with Andrew to uh, come up with an approach on how we're going to shoot all this and, and make it happen. And then to, I think you were getting there a little bit, which is how do we do it for an effective price and sort of right. where, do we, how, what decisions do we make to spend his money wisely? What things can he live with and what he can't? What, uh, you know, what robots are going to be most featured and what sequences, which ones can we get away with doing a simpler robot in the background where can we where can we uh cheat you know at my i've been in visual effects for close to 30 years and i think one of my skills is is trying to find ways to cheat and and where to save money and how to um how to make a you know how to rub two nickels together and end up with a quarter that kind of thing I've heard stories about directors just shooting on set, not having somebody um, in the moment there to tell them, well, hold on a minute. This is going to be chaos for the visual effects team later on. And then you hear these horror stories about having to turn over these shots on such a uh, tight schedule. So I imagine none of that really happened here. This sounds like it was like a really well-oiled machine in terms of just efficiency. Well, we, we knew very early. We did a test with Gareth before the movie was greenlit which was the the approach that he wanted to go to these exotic locales. He wanted to basically, after he had plates, he would work with uh, James Klein, his production designer and, and create uh, environment forms like the, 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 we see those in the tank battle. We see those in Japan. We see those in all over the movie, like these amazing Akira and, and just phenomenal matte painting forms that we're putting in. So he, he already had that idea. And then with the, with the robots and simulants that we would take existing performances and then figure out a way to mesh the, the, um, the hardware into their bodies. So we knew that that was going to be a, a ask. And we knew that we would be doing it with not always the most information. And we knew that we wanted to do it in a way where these actors didn't have to spend four and five hours in a makeup chair. So those were that was sort of the 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 uh, cost of doing business. That was our that was our starting point. Um, and we we came up with some techniques to to approach these things. We had phenomenal um, leads with Tim Daubert um, in in our match move and layout department, where we came up with rigid you know, ways to do rigid body tracking for our characters um, so we could lock down their jaws. And then with Ben O'Brien, our, our comp soup, how to um, combine the simulants with the existing facial movement so we could lock down parts of the skin and have like hard, hard surface connections, things like that. So did the actors have... Um like dots on the side of like their heads for where it was we... incredibly minimal right yeah it was that's a, right we did, we did like six yeah it was six like dots 
yeah, six or seven dots. Yeah, just very wow. few. And, and that was just a black makeup um, sort of marker pen in wow. order to track rigid parts. So at the temple um, and to be able to track around the throat and the, the chin, the tip of the nose. So we yeah. really wanted it to be quite minimal. Um, oh, Gareth really wanted it to be quite minimal. And then we supported that. Um, he didn't want that to be a distraction for them to be covered in, you know, sort of all these additional things that might have made our work easier. Uh, but he just really wanted to focus in on the sort of the truth and the emotion of the of the scene. And then for the all CGI uh, robot characters where there aren't any human elements, does Gareth shoot uh, a blank plate uh, on set and then shoot someone in a green uh, a green suit? Or how does that work for you guys in creating those characters? That's a really great question. So he shot who was a robot became really a decision in post. Mm. So all these people were dressed in costumes. And again, it was... A, in keeping with my my statement of of trying to maximize the visual impact, he would shoot the scene, he'd get his cut together, and then we would go through it together and go, well, this person we see multiple times. What, I think we get a lot of impact turning them into a robot. And this person over here, I shot, you know, this was a character who was, uh, who, was <laughs> who we went through makeup, but I think it would have more visual impact if we turned him into a robot. And this person over here, they're, we see them from the side, so maybe they can become a simulant. So it was really this idea that having a getting a cut together, reviewing it a number of times, and then making choices that really added up to more than the sum of its parts. And because they were already all in costume, there's a, a realism and there's a performance realism to it as well. Whereas I think that if we'd started with the, the gray pajamas or the green screen, there's a there's a number of things that don't work well for that kind of move the, the movie in that way one there's no assurance that someone who's in green screen is in the right place in the right frame at the right time you know just by virtue of the action but you still have to end up spending money to replace them in this case we could spend our money in, in the appropriate places and, and get the most visual impact the other component is i think there's a level of self-consciousness in the performance when someone is in the mocap pajamas or if they're in green screen that if every if the, if the um goal of his movie is for the robots to feel human and the simulants to feel human. And that's sort of the, the story we're telling. Then the more artifice that you imprint on the set translates to artifice later on. And so that was our goal is really to try to make it as human and, and um, make this society one where the, the robots and the simulants and the humans are all sort of on equal footing. That was sort of our, that was the goal as, as, as far as the stories come is, uh, was concerned that also extended to green screens you know there were very yeah. very few green screen blue screen gareth really just wanted to capture the the reality of the environment and then um, have uh, ilm at the, the the work in afterwards yeah absolutely how many uh logged man hours would you say was uh spent uh working on the visual effects for this project and how would that compare to other projects that you've worked on say in a similar budget range it was a I couldn't tell you a specific number of of hours. I don't have that up my hand, but mm -hmm. we were. I mean, in, at ILM, I can say we we did this project at four of our different sites. We there was a large number of shots that were done in London and in San Francisco, and in Sydney and in Vancouver. I mean, it was a it was a world uh, world effort with hundreds and hundreds of people. So it's a massive, it is a massive effort. And, you know, I'm I'm fortunate enough to be speaking with you, but there are hundreds of people that I owe a great debt of, of thanks and the ILM team and other vendors as well 
that just that you know are are chipping away at these problems day after day just because we say that it's you know it's casually talk about replacing a human with a robot there's a there's a person whose job it is to re- remove what was once there to paint that person out there's a person whose job it is to or people's job to do a, a track of that person's body then we build the models the the light the model the texture the model all the composite all these things together so it's a it's enormous team that that uh just adds up to one shot absolutely now with something like this because like i said it's been publicized a lot just like the efficiency of this production and how it kept costs lower compared to say 200 250 million and yet what you see on the screen feels like it could have been that kind of a budget amount what are you think some of the learns from this project that other studios other directors could possibly take with them into uh, future projects because in an industry where i can imagine everybody's always wanted to try and keep costs down but maintain some level of quality it almost feels like gareth edwards has figured out something special here yeah it's a great it's a Fantastic question. I mean, it, the I think that one of the things that he did that was just phenomenal is a smaller footprint on set with more locations. I think there's just a if you just if you trace sort of his career going from monsters to Godzilla to Rogue One, I think he's trying to navigate that world of how much you know how much freedom he has with a smaller crew and 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 more travel time. You know, in the last Andrew what was in the last month after we pretty much wrapped Principal, he took. David, uh, 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 JD, John David Washington and Madeline to Japan. Was it Japan or Nepal? I don't remember which one was the last location. Uh, Japan, Nepal. Um, yeah, Japan and all. And there was, I think yeah. it was maybe like for, and it's not an, a large number of shots and it probably wouldn't scale, but I think he, it was maybe like 10 or 15 people. Right. Which is just a completely unheard of yeah. when it comes to uh, big, big budget movie making. When it comes to the visual effects component, I think that the the thing that we did as a as a company is we partnered with him, and we um, we said, all right, let's look at the work and figure out what's the best way to maximize the amount of money that you have. And maybe you won't get, you know, there were there were internal struggles of like, all right, maybe you only see this shot three or four times, and you live with it. We had <clears throat> in the last weeks. Of the show, we had uh, a land called CBB land where Gareth had his huge list of like, all right, well, it's good for now. It's good for the movie. But if we have a little bit more time, can we do this and this? And so we we got everything up on its speed as much as we could. And then we had the entire movie. And, you know, some shots, he's like, you know what? I said that I wanted that. But now that I see the entire sequence, we don't really need to worry about those things. So there were a number of strategic choices that we made and like how we deployed our, our resources and then just sort of Gareth being open to the fact that not every single shot has every single thing he wants in it, but it has enough to tell his story. And that if there's more time or there's more resources that we we sort of rank what things are important. And that that's unlike a lot of the movies that I work on where, you know, you get sort of the list of what the ask is. And, if you know, it's almost like a checkbox list. You look at every single thing has to be there. And sometimes things are important in the moment. And they're important in the film. Other times they're important in the moment, but they're not really important in the, in the whole cohesive structure of the film. So I think it's working with a director like Gareth, who's who's open to those conversations and is open to, um, you know, to 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 get the most he can with his money and know that some not everything he gets at we get this on his list will end up there. 
directors are usually really good about living in compromise. You know, that's that's a, a large part, portion of their job is saying, all right, well, we don't have this actor on this day or we don't have this piece of equipment and making do. And I think it's kind of, I think Garrett's one of the few directors who's open to that in the visual effects space as well. And it, that same sort of thoughts that are on set extend. I hope, hopefully that answers your question. Very much so. And we're out of time here, but Jay, Andrew, I really, really appreciate uh, this behind the scenes look at the visual effects work on the creator. I think audiences are going to be very, very impressed by it. And if they want to dive deeper into finding out uh, how this was achieved, they're going to be even more impressed. So thank you both very, very much. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you, Matthew. For as long as AI is a threat, we will never stop hunting them. This is a fight for our very existence. Whatever's in there, they're sure worried about someone getting in. Yeah, we're getting out. Okay, first of all, uh, Oren, love the depth of field work you got going on in your Zoom box. And uh, Greg, you're like channeling the, the look of Dune in yours. I'm, I'm, I'm dying right now. This is pretty hilarious. <laughs> well, an hour, an hour ago, there was there was daylight outside. I'm in London. So yeah, and that was a much better lighting an hour ago. So sorry about that. You, you don't so, know the best. First of all, I, I love that I have both of you here to talk about this very unique sci-fi project here from Gareth Edwards, the creator. Um, Oren Soffer, you uh, worked alongside uh, Gareth. Uh, Greg, you, from what, I, from what I understand, were on the project at first. You had to go off and do a little other project called Dune Part 2. Um, and Oren, you stepped up to the plate and completed this whole process. Uh, Greg, was there like ever a point where you came back onto the project like on set or was it just like communication with Oren via zoom about maintaining the visual look of the film like how, how did all this work it, it's a it's a good question because it, it it's not as cut and dry as it may sound like where i'd step off to do something else because right. i was stepping off to prepare for dune but i was also observing some dailies and so very much it was an overlap and one of the things that was was super interesting about this film was that most aspects of it were un unorthodox because you know gareth and i for, for years had been talking about reinventing the wheel you know we had this kind of film wheel that existed and we were like well does it need to do that do we need to have that do we need to do this like we were constantly questioning ourselves about how the process can actually work and so you know we 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 used unorthodox camera systems. We used unorthodox uh, lighting systems. And part of the, the danger in doing those things is that sometimes, you know, when you're in the thick of the jungle, trying to make sure that you're, you're getting the, the, the best footage that you can um, can sometimes be tricky. So I was acting as a support mechanism in, in Los Angeles when I was there. I was acting as a sort of a sounding board for Oren for some things, for, for Gareth for some things. Um, but I was also helping prep the, uh, the, the the bigger component of the film, which was a studio shoot at Pinewood at the end of the film filming process, um, which involved some some work on the volume and also involved some traditional um, studio work. So in the whole process, I didn't really ever step off. I kind of just stepped 
away and then multitasked and then came back in and like you know the same went with a grade and the whole process it was very much a collaborative affair where you know like i would sound or and off about some some, uh, shooting process about Mm. the best best way to set up a volume load about how he thinks we should cover this based on what he's seen so far and he would also sounding board against about about lighting setup so it was very much a a a group effort very non-conformist to the way that we've made movies in the past when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and Oren, what, what was like th- uh, that experience like for you? I, I know you've worked on other feature films before, but this was like a massive step up from the previous work that you had done in terms of just to scale the project. But then they also throw in all of these other, uh, as Greg says, non-conventional uh, techniques and uh, processes. So uh, what was it like for you just kind of having your feet held to the fire and saying, off you go? <laughs> Yeah. Well, uh, it's interesting. I mean, you know, I come from indie films, like every, uh, the, the films that I've done prior to this one were all independent films uh, on at a lower budget level and, and shorter shooting schedules, but there's a certain scrappiness mm-hmm. to indie films and shorts, um, and music videos that was actually very relevant to, uh, the experience shooting this one. Mm-hmm. So the, the way that we set up and designed the film was that it really, felt like an indie film on set. I mean, there was still this big machinery um, supporting the project. And obviously there's um, there's certain elements that, you know, you don't have on a, a, a small indie film that you're shooting on location in New York City. Like you don't have a stunt team. Uh, you don't have uh, full-time special effects. Uh, you don't have a, a visual effects supervisor from ILM sitting next to you the whole time. And you don't have a, an 80-day shooting schedule. But uh, other than that, the the actual sort of day-to-day techniques and, and methodologies and approaches to the filmmaking were intentionally designed to embrace that kind of scrappier indie um, style and uh, specifically on the shooting location. So on set where the actors were and all of that really was in the end to service um, Gareth and the actors being able to create an arena for Gareth and the actors to explore and be spontaneous and be um, instinctive and, and reactive. But I mean, for me, the process was, was really exhilarating. Like, you know, you get a call from, from Greg Fraser and, um, he's describing the project to me in this unique approach. And, and then I I hopped on a Zoom with with Greg and Gareth and they they kind of filled me in on the conversations they'd already been having about filmmaking and, and um, different approaches to larger scale filmmaking and how we can do things differently and, and allocate resources differently. And um, I was just soaking it all in and it just all sounded very exciting and new and different. And I think any DP... Um, is always would be interested in embracing uh that kind of challenge and and sort of stepping into that i mean how can you say no right now when you're on these like exotic locations like in thailand for example do you have a focus puller a gaffer are, are you just like doing everything because i know <laughs> these crews were like very small so they were who, who who was your team yeah we did have a traditional crew 
Uh, but I think it was just much smaller than what somebody would expect for a film of this size. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, we had a gaffer, uh, P. Ty um, uh, Smith, and uh, we did have a focus puller. It was, a, it was a, an entirely Thai local crew, but uh, the numbers were just, I think, a lot smaller than you would expect watching the film. Uh, yeah. Our core electric crew was five people. Um, and so uh, we did expand occasionally when we had some slightly larger setups that we needed, but um, that core and the crew is really incredible. P. Thai is actually a cinematographer himself um, working in Thailand, and he actually brought together this basically like Avengers of Thai DPs, like young Thai DPs. And they all were our electric crew. So they all work in commercials and music videos and, and shoot sort of smaller films in Thailand. But they all kind of came together. He brought together this amazing crew, um, as well as our best electric, Nancy, who um, worked with P. Thai on uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, actually. They were both on the electric team of that film. Uh, and they had just come off of seven months in Oklahoma and, and uh, hopped onto our project and Pitai called her up from, the, she lives in Nashville and was like, hey, you want to come to Thailand for seven months and just kind of hop into this crazy adventure? Very much in the spirit of the whole film, like that dynamic and that phone call. Uh, and our camera team was also very lean. We had a focus puller, um, A, uh, and a second AC, and a, um, a, a data wrangler, uh, and we had a, um, a, a third assistant sort of supporting the team. We also had a dedicated drone team that was with us yeah. almost every day. Um, so, but that was really it. And we had a small grip team as well to support. We did not carry a ton of equipment. We did not carry any big, um, uh, techno cranes or anything like that, that required like a huge crew to support. Uh, we kept it very lean and very small and focused. And that was all part of the design to keep the footprint small and keep the, the pace high and, uh, enable the spontaneity and the, the, the sort of raw shooting methodology that Gareth wanted to adopt for the film. One of the things that was that we had to be very mindful of, as Oren just mentioned, was about the keeping the spirit in 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 unison with the vision. You know, because it's very easy when you know you've got Gareth Edwards coming to Thailand. You know, Gareth Edwards has done some big films, making a film for New Regency. Like you know, like it's it's decent. People have these expectations of what the film looks like because of all the other films that have gone before it. So very much a part of that was making sure that the people that we hired understood exactly what the ride was that we were going on. And so to, to the, the point of Oren's saying about the electrics crew, it's just a, a ragtag bunch of, you know, DPs who had the right yeah. spirit. And that was more important because at that point in time, there was nothing incredibly complicated when it came to lighting. We weren't doing things that were completely out of the box lighting wise, but we knew the right spirit and the right attitude. And that works its way down and up the line when it comes to putting together a crew. Absolutely. Now, I don't know if this question necessarily is for Oren or if it's for you, Greg, but just tell me this, Greg, when, when you know that you can no longer be a part of this uh, project in the capacity that you wish to be, Oren, did you have like a relationship already with Gareth Edwards? Like, like I know that you already have a background working in uh, short films, and this is like really considered in many ways a breakthrough project for you, which I'm sure is going to open up so many doors. But like, how did this happen? Who called you? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Greg, Greg called me. I, I had a relationship with Greg from before the film. And uh, yeah, I've been very fortunate and in many ways kind of won the, the cinematographer's lottery in, in some regard. <laughs> 
to have to have Greg as uh, um, someone who's been in my corner and, and I've been very appreciative and 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 very very fortunate to have that. And we've worked on a few other smaller projects over the years. Every once in a while, I'll get a call from Greg like, "Hey, are you free to come out and do this this thing like this afternoon?" And and you know, you always you always say yes. There's always something to learn and and gain from that from that kind of experience. And and um, it's always a always a, an amazing phone call to get. And then this was just the sort of latest in in that series of calls. And uh, uh, yeah, obviously for a bigger project and, and like I mentioned before, um, I think when, you know, when you hear that pitch from, from Greg and, and hear the approach that he and Gareth had been talking about, like, it just sounds so exciting and crazy that you have to, you have to jump on and say yes. <laughs> so, so Matt, one thing that um, Aaron probably doesn't understand because he's Aaron in like, is that to, 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 to find a role, to, to fulfill that role. Mm-hmm. very very particular it required yeah. a very particular set of skills to quote a, a famous uh <laughs> irishman um but it, it somebody with enough experience to understand what was going on on the set um somebody that wasn't that had not it, it, there's a possibility that when you are with, with gareth this is i'm gonna find the best words to use when you work with gareth sometimes there are things from an ego perspective about what we traditionally deem DOP or DP or cinematographer, mm-hmm. sometimes you don't do. Sometimes Gareth takes the lead on some things. So it requires somebody that's able to go with the punches and go with the flow and and have a history of sort of being a bit ragtag. And so what I was looking for was somebody that aesthetically was able to kind of keep up with us, which Oren clearly can, um, but also from a attitude perspective was able to kind of just, you know, take one on the chin now and again, um, but also contribute where he needed to, but stand back where he needed to. It was a very, it's a very fine balance and something that, you know, uh, we, we, you know, I, I thought long and hard about who that person might be. And so Aaron got the call. I, I, I've been saying now for a couple of years, I, I even, I pretty sure I said it to you during the Dune uh, part one run. You're one of the best DPs we have working today, Greg. So, for Greg to say that about you, Oren, uh, it's quite a rub. And I got to tell you, <laughs> after seeing your work on this, uh, uh, in conjunction with, of course, uh, Greg's participation as well, I, I just feel that there's going to be such a I, – I imagine there's going to be a lot of opportunity coming your way uh, post this project's release. And I'm really, really excited to see more of your work in the future. Um, can you just tell us, like, what – what what kind of stories are you interested in primarily uh, telling or working on? Do you have any like big aspirations, or is it just hey, I'm looking for whatever job is coming my way? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, first off, thank you. That that's that's very very sweet of you to say. And and uh, all of this is, as I'm sure you can imagine, you know, it's been a, a bit of a surreal experience. Um, but you know, I'm 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 just enjoying the ride and taking it day by day, and 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 just really grateful for it all. Yeah, in terms of uh, what kind of projects I want to work on, it's funny. That's like a question that that my agents ask me all the time too. <laughs> and, and 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 you, it's hard to find a good answer to it, to be honest. Because my thing is this: I, I've just always loved movies. Mm-hmm. Like I've been a big cinephile since I since I was a, a pretty young kid. And I so my my hopes and and goals, if I'm lucky enough to to be able to fulfill them, is to just be able to make films that I would want to watch as a, as a cinephile. Um, and I think, you know, thankfully I have, I have people to look up to 
and sort of follow in their footsteps. I mean, Greg's career and filmography and the choices that he's made in the films that 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 he's sort of taken on and the the variation in that career and sort of going from bigger projects, smaller budgets, um, something as you know grandiose as Rogue One to something as intimate as Lion, and all of them have the same kind of heart and integrity and vision and working with great directors that that have vision and have intentionality and have good taste um, and are are real auteurs and and have a sense of cinema. Um, obviously, Denis probably the the the, the greatest um, you know of our current director or current um, crop of directors that are sort of just kind of hitting their prime. And uh, yeah, so that's that's all I can ever kind of hope and dream for myself as well is to be able to sort of work on on those kinds of movies that are just good films and that, uh, you know, I can step back as a as a cinephile and say, oh, that's that's a good one. And I feel really proud to to have been a part of that. Well, we look forward to seeing what you have coming up next. Uh, Greg, of course, the world's anticipating uh, Dune Part 2 more than ever uh, since its release date. <laughs> Moves. So looking forward to seeing your work on that. Gentlemen, thank you both so much for your time here today. And uh, it was great talking with you about your work together on The Creator. Good to chat again, Matt. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks. Guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Did you locate the weapon? Yeah, it's a key. Seatbelt. I do want to wait the trap. close to winning the war. Execute her, or we go extinct. They're coming to get me. Gareth Edwards, what a pleasure to be speaking with you today about your new film, The Creator. How are you today? I am, in all honesty, I'm a little hungover because um, we had the UK premiere and every, everyone who had worked on the movie hadn't seen them since we filmed it in Thailand. We were out very late having quite a few drinks but i'm i'm ready to go so a lot of people know you for your big blockbuster films on godzilla rogue one but your career got started with a little movie called monsters tell us how does the creator harken back more to your work on monsters than your last two major blockbuster films yeah so basically, the first movie I did, because I had no money and my background was visual effects, we did it this very strange way that felt right if you didn't know how you're supposed to make a movie, which is that we just drove around in a van all through Central America. Every time we saw an amazing location, we jumped out, filmed a scene, jumped back in, and kind of just the plan was very organic, just reacting, trying to create happy accidents, reacting to really interesting things that happened along the way. And then... If I'd had my way or, or if I hadn't been offered these amazing opportunities in Hollywood, I think the next movie we would have had a bit more money and we probably would have done a similar process, like ironed out some of the cracks, you know, gone for it again and built up and built up and hopefully had a bit more budget each time until we hit the sweet spot. But I ended up going teleporting right to the side of that spectrum and doing big Hollywood blockbusters. And my whole time on those movies, I was trying to pull them <laughs> towards the indie way of doing things and try to like you know do what felt like the more efficient more creatively free approach to filmmaking and kind of got my way a little bit and then a little bit more but not enough and so this movie was really like okay let's this is a deal breaker for me <laughs> like 
I really want to change the process, like basically make monsters on steroids. Mm-hmm. You know, and and you know, instead of me doing the VFX from my bedroom, now it's industrial light and magic with Hans Zimmer yeah. doing the score. So it was kind of like this ideal scenario, really, that took like seven years to kind of get going. I think it's really cool, though, because um, where a lot of filmmakers will up the ante with each subsequent film, you've done something that I think a lot of people are now turning their heads towards and saying, whoa, wait a minute, we can do it this way and save how much money? And this is the end result? Like, I really think that what you've created here is going to hopefully set a new standard for blockbuster filmmaking in terms of how you guys did everything on real locations, your guerrilla style filmmaking with a very, very small crew. And then the way the visual effects was also implemented in this, I talked to the team and it's just like the level of efficiency and your vision as a director, it all just like came together here to create something that quite frankly, $80 million, right? Is that the reported budget on this bad boy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this thing feels like it was $200 million. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, $80 million is still a lot of money. Sure. Um, yeah, it was, it was essentially, you can have two approaches. And we went with the approach, instead of being like a very poor blockbuster, it was like, can we be the world's most expensive gorilla movie? And I wish personally that, that Hollywood, if they're going to take a lesson... Not that I expect them to at all, right? But if if there was one lesson to learn from this, like my hope would be that when they spot these filmmakers, you know, at Sundance or in these festivals and they grab them to go do like a big movie, don't pick up just the filmmaker and put them in the blockbuster. Pick up the filmmaker and their entire process and team and give them like more money than they could ever dream was possible. Like you could take a quarter of what you spend on a blockbuster and give it to one of these indie filmmakers and they would never, they would bring it in under budget. Do you know what I mean? And it would look like, it would look insane in terms of scope and scale. And so I think that's the simplest way to view it is, is just having the, like removing the process or the way that someone works is going to not lead to them having the kind of voice that attracted you to their filmmaking in the first place. And so I was really trying to like get, get that right. Yeah. Well, I think you definitely did. I've talked a lot about the production of this film with uh, other members of your crew and now including yourself here, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about your cast. Anything you want to say, it's unfortunate that they can't be along this promotional tour uh, with you. Um, but especially if you could also just like tell us where you found uh, Madeline. Uh, I mean, like just what an incredible performance from her in this especially. Yeah, I can't take credit um, for Madeline. Obviously, her parents take credit for that. It's like we did a we did a whole series of auditions. Or basically, a, like, we, we did an open casting call. So we got like 300 or so videos from around the world of kids and i don't know how many i watched like 50 or 100 i can't remember and then and then got it down to like a handful of kids and i met with them in person during the pandemic and madeline was the first one through the in through the door and she did this stunning performance that made us want to cry and i got paranoid that her mom had told us some bad news just before she walked into the room because it didn't make sense how a little kid could be so um emotional so easily yeah and so we then, I then sort of cheered her up. We talked about other things. And then I asked if she could do something different. And I sort of, without any prodding, 
we did this brand new other scene and she did it even better and it was clear like oh my god okay we found the special kid that we like is a the dream of this scenario i'm not into films with annoying child actors you know there's so many examples of where it kind of brings the film down and there's you know there's a handful of masterpieces out there but um so i didn't i don't know what i was going to do if we didn't find the right kid but thank god madeline turned up um yeah and her relationship with john david washington he was he became like a big brother um to her we had a reunion recently in disneyland um they hadn't seen each other in a year it was and they're not able to go to the premiere together so we we both took her out to disneyland for the day and and she would just spend the whole day holding his hand telling him all these stories and catching up with him and it was like i felt so sweet it was like i there you know when you finish a movie you often you don't see the actors again sometimes I really like to think that every now and again, like her, Madeline, and it's going to be weird because as Madeline grows up, like she's got this amazing potential to be a phenomenal actress, but her family's so grounded and supportive. Like, I'm not sure what she's going to choose to do next, but um, they're just over the moon with what's happening. Like seeing her, 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 their kid on billboards and on trailers at SoFi Stadium on giant screens and things, you know, it's it's like beyond what any any of us could have imagined when we started. Yeah. Well, as they say in the movie, as Alfie continues to grow, her power continues to grow, and the same is probably <laughs> going to happen with uh, Madeline as well. So, uh, Garrett, that's our time here. Uh, but I want to congratulate you on the movie. Like I said, I think it's going to turn a lot of heads within the industry, and we look forward to what you have coming up next in the future because this was just such an exciting uh, – I don't want to call it a pivot, but just a really, really exciting move from you here. So can't wait to see what you got cooking up next, and best of luck to you. Thanks, man. No, I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. Take care. Cheers. Thanks. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to my interviews with the visual effects supervisor, Jay Cooper, the on-set visual effects supervisor, Andrew Roberts, cinematographers, Greg Frazier, Oren Soffer, and the writer and director for The Creator, Gareth Edwards, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. The Creator is now currently playing in theaters from 20th Century Studios. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you all so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. slots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time (gasps) no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.